Welcome to Northern Apostle Radio's program, Witness to Hope. Hello, everyone. I'm Monsignor Michael Stieber, pastor of St. Peter Cathedral in Marquette. We're here for another episode of Witness to Hope. And our special guests today are Dr. Michael and Heidi Zirkus, wonderful family from our parish. And so we're going to talk about their journey of faith and especially how their Catholic faith also is uh, very strong for Michael's practice and his medical profession. Heidi and Michael... Uh, please tell our audience some of your family background, especially how you each grew in faith in your families. Sure. I can go ahead and go first because my story is a little different um, than probably what a lot of listeners have have experienced themselves. I grew up in the Bible Belt. Um, so I grew up in an area that was very not Catholic friendly. And um, we often would have things happen like protests and come out to these Jack Chick tracks in our cars. Mm. So it was a very different environment from what a lot of people up here have probably experienced. I went to a Catholic high school that was phenomenal in mm. teaching me um, apologetics. Mm-hmm. And included in that was a very basic lesson on natural family planning. Mm. Um, so at, in school and at church, it was a very, very um, identity forming kind of situation. You know, I was Catholic and here's why. It was great. At home, we were very nominally Catholic. Mm. We went to mass, we made our sacraments, and that was about it. It didn't really carry over into family life. Mm-hmm. My background was probably much more consistent with a lot of your listeners, which would be, you know, a cradle Catholic. So I grew up in a, in a very Catholic home. Um, we did have a lot of crossover from, from mass and sacraments into our home as well, mm-hmm. um, especially around family gatherings, um, very exciting times in our lives, different landmark, you know, moments in our lives. And of course, holidays, you know, were very important to us. I was actually baptized in the Ukrainian rites of mm-hmm. the Catholic Church, which would be a little bit different than what a lot of listeners here are. Mm-hmm. You know, in, involved in that baptism was also my first communion and my confirmation, which was right. um, slightly different from, you know, what we do here in our church. Mm-hmm. And that did play a role a little bit in my upbringing and, and what happened with my faith journey throughout my childhood. In that in middle school, as my friends were preparing for confirmation, I, I pretty much felt pushed out, you know, at that point um, because I'd already completed my confirmation and that really, you know, from my recollection when I was, you know, around 12 years old, I remember them basically telling me, you know, that I wasn't welcome there, you know, during those wow. classes, during that formation. Whether that's exactly what the adults said, I'm not sure, but that's what my 12-year-old brain remembered no. um, from that time. You know, that really kind of started my journey a little bit away from the church, and it really wasn't a part of my being at that moment um, in, in my development. So I did start to slowly fall away from my faith, um, which I know we'll talk about how, mm-hmm. you know, that has re- rekindled over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, you know, my, uh, my parents still had me go to Mass, and it was still part of our life, but it wasn't part of my identity any longer. I see. Very good. And what were you each doing when you met each other? And what was happening in your faith lives at that time? So this is a really kind of fun part of our story. Mm -hmm. Um, We were both um, at Michigan State University on the very first day of orientation. And Heidi was the first person that I met outside of my roommate. And I'm pretty sure she would say the same. Yep. Huh. The second person I met, if you count my roommate, is the first. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, we, we met that first night um, going to dinner um, as a dorm, basically. And I remember saying to her, I'm really terrible with names, so I probably won't remember your name, but my name is Mike. And we walked together to, um, to dinner. And at that point in my faith journey, like I had already alluded to, it wasn't really strong in my faith. It was I would still consider myself a Catholic, but I was really struggling with a lot of the teachings in the church. I felt like, you know, as, as many teens often do, lots of questions, mm. um, trying to understand. And I didn't feel like I had the, the good formation to really truly understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was seeking a little bit at that point in my journey. Mm. And Heidi and I became really good friends um, over time. 
Um, and she can speak a little bit of, of how very different of a place she was in with her faith. Mm. Um, but really, if it wasn't for Heidi, I'm not sure that I would still be Catholic at this point. I mean, hopefully God and the Holy Spirit would have led me back anyway. Mm. But I really credit Heidi a lot to re- rediscovering my faith. Mm. Great. Thank you. (laughs) So from my point of view, when we met, I had just come from the Diocese of Pensacola in Tallahassee, and I was very involved in youth ministry. I'd spent two years going to a life teen parish, and that that plus my education at my high school really sent me off to college on fire. I, I really felt like I had a pretty good understanding of my faith. I accepted the church's teachings. I, you know, I was ready to get out in that world to the point where even though I was going to MSU for a science-based degree, I decided that I needed to keep having religion classes because Mm -hmm. I I wanted to keep learning. I remember very clearly telling my counselor that at orientation and um, him just kind of looking at me like, okay, (laughs) you're going into the College of Natural Sciences, but okay. So I came up to college feeling pretty secure in my Catholic identity and really truly being on fire for the faith. It was a struggle in college, you know, mm-hmm. to keep that up. Mm-hmm. But my, I really credit my high school with giving me a good, firm foundation. Mm. And one of the things that, that Heidi made sure that, you know, as, as our friendship was developing more, that she always brought me to Mass. So mm-hmm. I did, we did attend the, the student Mass in the evening um, at the student parish there at MSU and had a whole group of us from our dorm that would walk together. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much an extrovert and I really loved having that, you know, social atmosphere. Um, and so really that's what brought me along with Heidi basically saying, look, you're coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so as, as that developed, you know, that continued to d- develop my faith as well. And then, you know, after we started um, really getting to know each other better, we started volunteering together and started exploring our faith together, which was, mm-hmm. was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and Heidi is a, a very intelligent person um, and really had such an, a great understanding of the faith that I really learned a lot from her. Um, those were great long conversations. I remember walking around campus kind of, you know, working through, you know, what does life mean and what does, you know, what does this mm. teaching of the church mean and those sorts of mm-hmm. things. And and she was so much more well-formed in the faith that it was a lot easier for me to understand after having those conversations. Mm-hmm. That apologetics background that you had in high school. It right? was huge. I actually, since then, have sent a thank you letter to the, the sister who still is the principal, you know, wow. 20 some years later, and she still remembers everybody by name. I've since reconnected with them just to say thank you because mm. it, it really has made a drastic difference mm-hmm. in our, um, in my life, just and our, our marriage and our mm-hmm. family. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, I proposed to Heidi in the, our sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually studying abroad in England at that point. Um, and it was very interesting because I felt that I was much more formed in my faith. And then I went to a place that was very not Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and to try to find, you know, some some Catholic resources there was was very trying. But once I was able to find a good group, you know, that, that formation continued, which was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I came back really even more on fire after proposing, you know, while I was away. Um, and then kind of, you know, creating our life together. And that, that Catholic mindset, you know, was, was very different for us when mm-hmm. I got back. Yeah. How did you propose when you were in England? So actually, um, this is kind of a funny story. So, so I did um, musical theater as um, in high school. And so while I was over um, in England, I tried out for Guys and Dolls. So Heidi had told me that if I got a named part with some lines, that she would come and see the performance. Um, and so I had one line. Um, but he had a so name, though. I had a he name. Harry the Horse. Yep. He had one line. Yep. So she, she flew over um, to, to see the performance, which was fantastic. And then we actually, at the end of the performance, um, we had a cast party. And the next morning, we left um, and went to Venice. Um, and I actually proposed in Venice. And then, unfortunately, she had to fly back home, um, back to, to Michigan, you know, the next day um, after we got back to England again. But it was quite the story. I guess so. Yeah. yeah it wow. was definitely one for the memory books. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Romantic place to be. Very saying. much so. Yeah. Right. Wow. right. 
And as you uh, grew into that wonderful marriage and God's calling with that solid foundation of your Catholic faith, talk about your approach to uh, natural family planning and your marriage and how that grew over time. Um, Well, I can start. So like I mentioned before, in high school, we had, I lovingly call it natural family planning for dummies. It was a very basic course in our religion class where we were basically taught the female signs for fertility and what they meant. Mm -hmm. In that was also a very intense theology discussion where we talked about what marriage was for and Mm. what, you know, the fruits of marriage were and the two different aspects of the marital act and what you know procreation and unity Mm. um and so and how they couldn't be divorced and so i went to college thinking this and i understood it and i believed it it made sense to me went to college had some medical issues and symptoms that you know i went to the college campus or the campus um, clinic they put me on birth control for it so i didn't know any better at the time i did know though that once we got married i very much the fruits of marriage are children. I, I knew mm. this and I believed it. So we had had this discussion pretty early in our relationship about, you know, basically when we got married, I didn't want to be on birth control anymore. That mm. was not what I believed was part of being married. Mm-hmm. So we went into it, into marriage with me coming off contraception, knowing that, you know, there was a pretty good chance we were going to end up getting pregnant. We didn't know anything about NFP really at that point, other than what I had learned in high school, had a miscarriage relatively early. Mm. And then, um, I really jumped into this was back when the internet was just really getting started and really jumped into self instruction Mm. and trying to like I knew based on what I learned in high school that we could use natural family planning also to help conceive. Mm -hmm. So we really kind of jumped into NFP right away um, Mm -hmm. to be able to get pregnant. And that was kind of where we were for the next few years. We ended up having two children within like an 18 month period. At that point, um, I had gone in for a, a regular you know, postpartum checkup and really wanted some information, really wanted somewhere, you know, I have two kids under the age of three, he's in medical school, mm. I, I need, we need to space this out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted some, some information and the nurse laughed at me and you know, said, well, I guess we'll just see you back here in a few months when you're pregnant again. <laughs> there really wasn't anywhere for us to turn at mm. that point. Mike was in the middle of med school at this time. We knew we were going to be moving. And you can speak a little bit more to this, this yeah. moment. I think, you know, one of the, the things, of course, in the in the general medical practice, of course, um, contraception is pushed a lot. So birth control pills, mm-hmm. other forms of contraception. So, you know, I was being, um, you know, it was basically being beaten into me how fantastic birth control is for women and for relationships and how freeing it is for women. And I was starting to believe that, even though I knew that our church teaching, you know, didn't agree with that and our, mm-hmm. and our faith journey didn't agree with that. It was very easy for us to fall into, you know what, let's, let's do this because we do really need to avoid pregnancy right now. We don't have the resources that we need. We know this works well. You know, you do have some medical conditions that we can treat with the birth control, so we can kind of justify it that way. Um, but really, we're using it for, for to avoid pregnancy. And, you know, I just we, we felt like we were at peace with it at that moment. Um, and we decided it was the best thing for us at that time. Um, so then we moved to Maine for residency and didn't know anyone. Um, the closest family we had was about two and a half hours away in the Boston area. They were my aunt and uncle who I barely knew. At that point in time, I also was struggling with quite a bit of depression. Didn't want to get, get out of bed, was really struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. And we all yeah. thought it was situational. We yeah. all thought it was because we had, I had just moved. No one had really placed the two things, the contraception and depression happening about the same time. 
we hadn't really figured out that they were connected at the point at that point um we just thought it was just the stress of med school and starting residency and moving away from family and having two kids under the age of three and of course i was in the midst of my OBGYN residency so you know in my mind it didn't make sense that those two were really connected um, Mm. because of course i'm learning about all the different forms of contraception and all the different aspects of gynecologic care but of course that was one big aspect that i was learning um, at that point of course i was learning to deliver babies and do surgery but you know one big part of my practice was was certainly prescribing different forms of contraception. So I never really made that connection in my mind either. And so for us, it, it didn't really make sense. You know, we thought it was all just situational. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, and I went to the doctor, I was prescribed an antidepressant, had a reaction to that, wasn't able to sleep, which with two small kids, is not a good plan. Uh-huh. So we ended up trying and changing the contraception I was using, trying seeing if maybe that would help. Nothing really helped. We decided um, eventually, it was this third year of residency, we decided to try and have another child. So I stopped taking it and it was, uh, the depression lifted. You know, I was pregnant. And so we, we, again, we didn't really connect the two. I was just happy to be pregnant, you know. So we ended up, we had our third child and had... I had preeclampsia during that uh, labor and delivery and ended up going back to the ER four days postpartum because my blood pressure was sky high. I couldn't even get up to like unload the dishwasher. So we decided again with the residency banging contraception into Mike's mind that with this complication, I really needed to not get pregnant again. Um, Mm -hmm. We needed to figure out what was going on with my health first. So I started on um, birth control again. And once again, depression just came right Mm -hmm. back on. Mm And I think the other important piece with this too is is Heidi was working as a full-time or part-time youth minister and was working a lot with Life Teen, um, with middle school and high schoolers. And, you know, we were, we were really on fire with our faith and really believed the teachings of the church. And, you know, really Life Teen, I think, t- formed us even more um, in our faith, even as a youth minister. And I was a volunteer helping. And we were starting to be challenged by the the teens to question, you know, contraceptive teaching and all of that as well. And so really they were challenging us and we would leave those those group sessions and be like, man, we, we just, our faith and our personal lives are not lined up. And my professional life, of course, I'm developing into this, you know, this dichotomy where basically it was two different forces pulling against each other. Um, and so we really felt that this discomfort, if you will, nothing, I can't think of a better word than that. We were just uncomfortable where we were. And, you know, we, we knew something was wrong, but we didn't know how to fix it. We didn't have mm-hmm. the resources to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. About that time, thanks to the connections we'd made and with relationships and friends, I was starting to kind of figure out that this depression that I was fighting, I didn't want to go on antidepressants again. I didn't like what happened to me. And I was kind of starting to figure out that, wait a second, this this could be related to the, the contraception I'm taking. We I stopped. I just decided, no, like this is not right. Something's not right. It doesn't line up with our faith that we're now trying to really develop and we're really being challenged on. And it's not it's not helping. There's got to be something better than this. And these new friendships that we've made pointed us towards NFP and pointed us towards resources. And it wasn't just the calendar method. There were more choices out there and there was science out there. Really, really helped move us toward a more integrated life between our Catholic identity mm. and our home life and Mike's work identity. And I think it's really important to to thank those witnesses to us because they really weren't afraid to witness to the truth to us and challenge, mm. and challenge us. And, right. you know, some of those witnesses honestly were the teenagers, which, you know, <laughs> was huge. We were adults and, you know, mm. young adults, but still adults. And we were, you know, um, they were helping in our formation. And then, of course, we had a lot of very close um, Catholic friends um, and some of our mentors as well that were not afraid to witness to that truth. Mm. So, you know, it was what we needed to hear. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, especially when you think of the reaction to Humanae Vitae 50 years ago. will be the anniversary of next month, right? Mm-hmm. And right. Um, 
how that wasn't received very well, and there's still a, kind of a cloud over Definitely. some people's minds around it, the clarity of the truth. What encouragements would you give to other young couples who are maybe struggling yet with that issue and, and natural family planning? I would say, you know, first of all, having gone through both sides in our marriage, I can tell you that our marriage is so much stronger. And, you know, honestly, after just a few months of natural family planning, our marriage was stronger. Hmm. Um, The depression had completely lifted. We were able to talk about things in a very different way. We were open and honest about really everything at that point. Hmm. We joke, if you can talk about your fertility, you can talk about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really did kind of open that door to have those discussions. And I think as a, as a guy, you know, it's, it's, it, a lot of, you know, this discussion falls on, on your wife. And, you know, I think one of the things that I really wanted was, you know, more of that kind of male formation and, and atmosphere. So really what, what I found was doing a lot of reading for myself. I would encourage all men to, to read as much as you possibly can on this because there is so much out there that's, that's mm. beautiful. Really helped me understand um, really where Heidi was coming from, where the church was coming from, and just the beauty of this teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and Heidi, you know, was able to find really great resources. I'll let you speak about that. Yeah, so one of the things that happened just after we had our third child, when we had the preeclampsia scare, one of the things I did was I got on the computer. And, you know, as much as we say about the internet is like ruining our ability to communicate or anything like that, it can be a really good resource. And I stumbled upon a Catholic Moms forum. This group of women has become an incredible resource in our life. We The goal of this group is really just to support each other in motherhood and the role of a Catholic wife. Mm. To the point where, I mean, Mike has delivered a baby from the group and our sixth, our um, daughter's godparents are friends from this group. But more than anything else, they really, really, everyone's trying to live according to church teaching. We're trying to live this authentic Catholic life. And so having this group of people that I trust to talk about so you know to discuss these the um hard parts of nfp Mm -hmm. um you know it's not going to always be a field of flowers like they say on the the cover of the book Mm -hmm. so what i would suggest is is just start talking about it Mm -hmm. reach out to women that you know in person or even on the on the computer and try to just start talking about it it's not easy for a lot of people a lot of women especially those of us who have been on contraception have some some hormonal roller coasters to figure out. So the more we talk about it and the more that we get to know each other and really share these experiences, I think that was the single most encouraging piece for me, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that I wasn't alone. Right, right. And how beautifully you mentioned too, I've heard this over and over for couples living the NFP um, way, that it does unite you more because you're mutually it talking about this. Eh? It, it, it relieved a ton of stress for me mm-hmm. is it wasn't all on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be my fault if we got pregnant. Mm-hmm. It, was an, it was our fertility now, not my fertility. Mm-hmm. It, wow. it was a definite relief. Beautiful. And Michael, in your medical practice, you know, that consistency of your Catholic faith with the medical practice, even they were kind of hammering you with another vision. Talk about that, how you were able to kind of embrace that more. Yeah, so that was um, also in my third year of residency. I was starting to apply for um, full-time jobs. And of course, we had decided at that point um, that that we, in our personal life, um, we were going to embrace natural family planning completely. And then we had this, again, this kind of break between my professional life and my and our personal life. And I was offered multiple different positions, one of which was a full-time faculty position at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been offered some other, you know, private practice positions, but nothing really felt right. I just wasn't able to say, yes, I want to, you know, sign on the, con- on the dotted line and sign that contract. And part of it, I, I believe, looking back on it now, was this struggle that I was experiencing. So through our work with Life Teen, actually one of the regional contacts came out to Maine um, while we were living there. 
and we were invited to that um, dinner. And because um, Life Teen was starting to, to become more in the forefront in, in the main um, youth ministry world, she she turned to me and said, have you ever thought about being an NFP only OBGYN? Hmm. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, what? You know, um, that how does that? Trisha, you're crazy. Right. I mean, I gave her that. I did give her that look like, oh, my goodness, I don't even know what you're talking about. How is that possible? And, you know, I I thank her to this day because we we literally left that dinner and we went to a bookstore, Heidi and I, and got some coffee and just decided that, yes, this is absolutely what we're going to do. Have no idea what it means. I have no idea how it's going to happen, but we're going to do this. And so I started to find um, different links and resources of other doctors that have been doing this. Dr. Buchowski, um, reached, I reached out to him directly, and he's been doing a lot of work in, in NFP-only um, OBGYN world, and also um, working through one of his medical practices, and then you know through the pro-life ministries that he's a part of. Um, and he actually reached out to me, um, called me, and we spent about an hour and a half on the phone one night, and I, you know, at multiple moments, kind of broke down in tears about you know how beautiful this was and how amazing it was that I could do this. And so after that conversation, truly believe this could happen. And then I came upon um, a practice out in Arizona, um, just outside of Phoenix, and got in touch with Dr. Clint Leonard. And he said, well, what you need to do if you really want to do this is, is go out to the Pope Paul VI Institute in Omaha, Nebraska, mm. and learn about the Creighton model and learn about natural procreative technology or NAPRO technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if you want to do this, you know, why don't you think about coming out and interviewing with me and we can maybe even have you join the practice. So I, you know, we talked about that, prayed about that and decided that, okay. So we went out for an interview, um, went um, to his practice, learned about what it's like to be a Catholic OBGYN, and then, you know, signed on the dotted line and said, this is for me. And then he sent me to Omaha um, and I received that training, um, which was just so eye-opening for me that I could mm. treat, you know, medical problems without using birth control. Mm. Um, and that there was an option for women and for couples and to be able to treat infertility without using things that I didn't agree with or that mm-hmm. the church doesn't agree with, all which now is in line in my mind, you know, was just a beautiful thing. And so, you know, now I've been in practice for nine years <laughs> since then, I wow. guess. But I brought it back to my residency and, you know, it was, it was amazing. My residency director, I, I sat down with her and I said, okay, look, this is what I want to do. Um, and she was 100% supportive, which mm-hmm. was amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, absolutely. If you can show us, you know, the medical science behind this and teach us about this, we would love to support you in doing this, which was amazing. And I thank her for that, mm-hmm. of course. And so I actually was able to present my my grand rounds as the chief resident um, was all about this, this practice of medicine and how beautiful it is and how good it is for women. And there was so much interest in the room and so much excitement because it mm-hmm. made sense to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, the you know, a lot of times you'll talk to a doctor about um, NFP or, and they may, you know, they may laugh. They may have no idea that it's scientific sound and then add into that you know all the hormonal treatments and things that we can do based on someone's chart and someone's cycle to really help with their fertility you mm-hmm. know with something new but it, it all made sense mm-hmm. um, and so it was just a beautiful thing wow what's uh, what's happening at St. Francis Hospital where you're practicing also there trying to be consistent yeah so St. Francis and um, Escanaba is part of a larger organization OSF and you know they are unapologetically Catholic which you know mm-hmm. was one of the first things they told me when I you know came for my interview and you know I you can you can give that a lot of lip service and say yes we're truly Catholic but they really are mm-hmm. you know run by an order of nuns who are very actively involved in the ministry um, they consider it a ministry which I love mm-hmm. um, there's 24-hour adoration there are you know twice daily prayers um, that that are said over the intercom and you know it's really interesting to sit in a meeting and the meeting stops to listen to the prayer and pray along which is mm-hmm. wonderful and so to be a part of an organization like that you know and have just that be right in the forefront is just a beautiful thing mm-hmm. and then specifically in our practice with bringing me on board we also have now officially as of this week, hired on a Creighton um, practitioner or teacher as well. Mm. Um, so she will be teaching out of our office directly. And then we also are starting to 
to develop what's called the fertility care practice, um, where specifically we're focusing on um, NAPRO technology, like I spoke about that I learned in Omaha, mm-hmm. um, and really just developing that here in the UP, which we have not had to date. Um, so this is really going to be the first fertil- true fertility care practice in the UP, instead of patients having to drive to, to Green Bay, which has been the closest that, that we've had for a long time. Right, right. So it's, it's a lot of very exciting work that's happening. And I think one of the things for me, even beyond that, is just the respect for life at all stages, mm-hmm. um, and really truly understanding the beauty of that teaching. And also, you know, core to our mission is really taking care of the poor and the marginalized as well mm-hmm. um, of, the, of the Upper Peninsula, not just, you know, the Escanaba area. And that's been a really beautiful thing to see happen. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we can switch gears a little bit, but still consistent with that reverence for life ethic. Um, Heidi, you shared with me about your adoption of your son, Theo, and uh, talk about how you and Michael are drawn to that decision and how Theo has touched your family's life and others. Oh, boy, we could spend hours on this. Yeah, um, So after our third pregnancy, that was the whole preeclampsia one, we really felt that we were still called to expand our family. We really felt that we weren't, we weren't, we were being called to more, more children, more whatever. We were in Arizona at the time, and so we went to foster care orientation meetings. We talked to various people about private adoption, and nothing really fit well. A lot of it was just logistics. Mike's job limited how much time we could have off or um, what organizations we could be a part of. So a friend of ours had mentioned a website called Reese's Rainbow. It's an advocacy group for children, originally just for children um, who are looking for adoptive families um, who have Down syndrome. Now it's opened up to more special needs than just Down syndrome. But we, I, we stumbled upon this page and started looking around, and we both felt very comfortable with special needs. Uh, he, Mike had had experience both with a family member with Down syndrome and volunteer work. I had volunteered with various children camps and whatnot that the children had special needs. And we had the ability at home um, to care for a child who, had, who needed extra care. So we stumbled upon Reese's Rainbow. We started looking around and found Theo. He, his profile was there. His country that he was in met all the requirements that Mike's job placed on any adoption for us. And we got one look at his picture because his picture was not public at the time. His country doesn't allow for pictures to be public. So we were able to, to get his information from the agency that held his file and took one look at him and said, yep, that's our son. That is our son. So we started the adoption process. Um, it took two and a half years wow. and was... Definitely not for the faint of heart. It was <laughs> by far the hardest pregnancy I've been through um, emotionally yeah. and ended up adopting him and bringing him home when he was four. And it's actually been four years now this week. Um, mm. His gotcha day was four years ago. It has been a learning um, process for sure. I actually just recently authored a blog post on the blog Kitchen Stewardship. Um, and it was, it's all about what, uh, adopting a child with Down syndrome has taught me about parenting and life in general. It has definitely changed our life at home. It's, we've had to make accommodations for him that I never would have thought of with our biological kids. Learn things about therapies that I never really even had any experience with before. But one of the things that I always say when someone asks me about Theo is that he has taught us how to be more emotionally healthy than anyone else that I know. One of those, one of the stereotypes you see of, of people with Down syndrome is that they're always happy. That's not true. <laughs> he, he experiences every emotion that you and I experience. But the difference with Theo is that he, in, he experiences it intensely. Mm-hmm. And then we move on. So he's happy. He's really happy. And then we're done. Or he's sad and he's really sad. And then we're done. He, d- he doesn't hold on to those emotions and let them fester like the rest of us do. 
Um, so we, we joke that he has taught us how to be emotionally healthy. We mm. experience it, but we don't let it control us. Mm. And he has also really taught us how to love more unconditionally. So he loves a person for who they are, not what he, not what he wants them to be. So he loves us because we're us, not because he wants us to be make him laugh or he wants us to you know i love you because you're funny well no he loves you because you're you Hmm. um so we have we just really have learned a lot about love and emotions with him in our family beautiful beautiful well thank you so much for your witness and your family witness i always enjoy seeing you in the front pew (laughs) and theo's enthusiasm he definitely is intense (laughs) well let's pray in the name of the father the son the holy spirit God, our Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life. Thank you for the wonder of the way you've made us. And thank you for the gift of marriage and family and the gift of every life you've created. Help us to, again, recognize you and each other, every person we meet. And Blessed Mother, we ask your intercession for everyone listening, those especially uh, with any hurts or needs, we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.